0: Good morning. Welcome to our church, Flint Hills Bible Church. Um, It is a joy to be up here this morning to to give the message, the sermon. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Brock Pena. I'm an elder here at Flint Hills Bible Church. And um, I realize and recognize that the the task of preaching the Word is a very serious one. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me uh, that we can hear the word of God, uh, and respond rightly to it. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us, and you love your church. You love the collective body here, and you love each individual saint. Um, You love us deeply. You care for us. And as we look at your words uh, this morning in the book of Philippians, we pray that you would make a, a massive impact in the way that we think about anxiety, the way that we respond to the troubles and trials of life, and what our hearts do in those moments. Father, I pray for every, every person in this room. I pray that you would calm our anxious hearts, that you would help our minds to focus on your word, the truths about you that we'll read the truth is about ourselves that we ourselves that we will read. Holy Spirit, we ask you to bring comfort to those who need it and conviction to others who need that. And we pray all of this for the, the beautiful and majestic name of, of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Thomas, he's a family man with a good job. He's pretty successful. And uh, he works at a pretty successful company. He has recently been given the task to give a pretty significant presentation to some of their higher-ups at the company. And so as he's preparing for this presentation, and, and it's coming, it's on the horizon, it's days away at this point, and he's starting to lose sleep. And as he considers all of the decisions that he's got to make as he leads this presentation, and as he considers what might be riding on this presentation, you know, he starts to have, uh, like I said, trouble sleeping. This is his shot to get that promotion that he's been wanting for years. But now he's, he's swamped up into decisions like, what, what should I wear? I got I to promote and project confidence. I need to make sure that I say the right things. What if I, what if I stumble over my words How should I stand? So he goes into the mirror and he watches his his posture, practices his facial expressions. Everything must be perfect for this. But the presentation's not coming together. He starts to become fearful that this is gonna be a bomb. It's not gonna be good. I'm gonna get up there. I'm gonna say the wrong things. I'm gonna say something foolish, I'm not going to know the answers to their questions. And then, then what will happen? Everybody will hear about it. I'll, maybe they'll fire me. Maybe they'll demote me. And then, oh, what will my family think? They'll, they'll lose all respect for me. If they don't respect me, they'll, they'll never come to me for advice. They won't think highly of me. And into a cycle of fear and anxiety, he spins. Anxiety is the topic of our text this morning. It's what Thomas would need to hear. It's what many of us in this room need to hear and think about and understand. So turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 4 through 9 this morning. And while you're turning there, uh, just to give you a quick definition of what we're talking about when I say anxiety. Anxiety is fear worry or dread of some future event or circumstance okay i'll say that again anxiety is a fear or a nervousness or a dread of something that hasn't happened isn't happening now but we're afraid might happen or it can be something that we hope happens i desperately want it to happen but i'm afraid it won't so i become anxious and then in our anxiety, we begin to maneuver in our minds. We, we scheme and we plan and we try to figure out how to work things so that we get the outcome that we want. So in our anxiety, really, we could say our anxiety is a desire to control the future. Okay, you've probably been hearing about anxiety in the news. It's, it's on the incline in our society. Let me read you some statistics that I found from a survey done in 2022. Um, it reviewed previous um, numbers and, and persistent feelings of anxiety in 2019 were at 8.1%. That's already kind of high. I mean, that's almost, that's getting close to 10%. One in 10 people experiencing persistent anxiety, paralyzed, unable to attend to the tasks that they're called to do or they're responsible for because of anxiety. But in just two short years, that number more than tripled to 27%. Okay, that's, that's one in four people. That's more than 25% of the population experiences these persistent, paralyzing feelings of anxiety. But it gets worse, actually, for some. Of those surveyed, the 18 to 29-year-olds, that number was 42%. 42% of young people who you would expect to have all the hope and the joy and happiness and excitement about the future, it's not there. 42% experienced crippling anxiety. One more, according to the CDC, um, I believe this was 2021 data, 16.5% of adults in America are on some kind of prescription medication for a mental health condition, and that is, a large part of those are for anxiety, anti-anxiety medications. So we are an anxious society, and unfortunately, the church has not been immune to that, you just think about the people that you know, or maybe it's in your own heart. When uh, troubles come, the anxiety that can choke off your initiative, your decisiveness. Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun, and in Philippians, there was this is a solid church in Philip in Philippi. Paul planted that church. He had a wonderful relationship with that church. Uh, Scott touched on this last week. He, uh, that church was doing well, but there were uh, seeds of anxiety and some conflict that were starting to grow. We see a little bit of that in uh, chapter 1, 12 through 14, because they were, they were beginning to be anxious about the fate of Paul, their beloved apostle, Right? Paul comforts them in chapter one. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Okay, so he needed to encourage them. They were anxious about what's gonna happen to Paul. Was he gonna live or die? Was he gonna stay in prison or was he gonna be freed? they were also starting to feel some of that persecution and suffering themselves. And so that prompted Paul to write in uh, verse 29 and 30 of chapter 1, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And thirdly, there's the, the topic of conflict, and it was starting to creep in into the church at Philippi, and they were nervous about that, and so Paul had to remind them that they are to be humble, that they are to promote others, they are to think more highly of others, just as Christ did. They are to have the mind of Christ and be humble, and he even went so far as to call out two of the leading women in the church, um, Iodia and Syntyche, which Scott, sorry, I didn't pronounce that the right way, but. You know, uh, however you're supposed to pronounce it. They were, he felt the need, it was serious enough for him to call out these two leading women. These are godly women, leading in the church in some capacity. And he tells them, you need to agree in the Lord. And he calls on the church and, and others in it to help them. And so it's into that context that, that Paul writes probably the, one of the more Um, well-known passages on anxiety in all of Scripture, and maybe top two, right, in in this text here. And so let's read it, and we'll jump in and try to figure out what what do we do when we're tempted towards anxiety. Okay, let's read it. Starting in verse four, Paul says, I didn't even get there in my Bible, whoops. In Philippians chapter four, verse four, Paul writes this. That's Galatians. For the back, in case you were wondering. All right, verse four of Philippians chapter four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, we have an outline that we're going to use to walk through this passage, and we've got four points. Um, And these are really, the the sermon is entitled, The Antidote to Anxiety, and maybe it should have been the battle against anxiety, because I'm using, like, fighting and stuff, but I, you, know, you have to give me a, a little grace there. Um, our first point is, is the, a weapon that God gives us and Paul reminds us of to fight against anxiety is a joyful perspective. Read verse 4 with me again. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. And it's interesting here that, that Paul says this, he gives this command, by the way. A command. It's not a suggestion. He says, you might want to rejoice. No, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, he repeats himself, rejoice. And it might seem at, at first, that that's a, you're, it's a little tone deaf, Paul. I mean, you're in prison, right? You, we don't even know if you're going to live. What do you mean rejoice? Not only that, we're starting to suffer. We're being persecuted People are fighting and bickering. You've already warned us earlier about false teachers who are perverting the gospel. So there, there's a, what do you mean we're supposed to rejoice? But if that is our response, we've missed something. Okay? Paul's not saying rejoice that things are going poorly sometimes. Right? Rejoice in the circumstances you find yourself in, in the context you're living in. That's not what he says. The assumption when we reject Paul's command is we assume that we can't rejoice when things are hard or when things are bad or when they hurt. And that is not true. What Paul's actually saying is to rejoice not in hard circumstances but in the Lord. The source of our rejoicing isn't those hard circumstances. It's not the suffering that makes us rejoice. No, the source and foundation of our rejoicing is actually Jesus Christ himself. We rejoice in the Lord. And he gives a a good contrast. Go ahead and turn back in, in your Bibles to just a few verses before. In chapter three, he contrasts Kind of the different, so those who are saved and who should be rejoicing in the Lord always and those who are not. And so it gives us a good, um, good perspective that we really need to have before we even go into these weapons to fight anxiety. So look at uh, chapter three, starting in verse 18. Paul says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So in those verses, there's a key concept that we need to, to think about. If, if you come away from, with this sermon with just, you know, I just need to change my schedule around a little bit to deal with anxiety. I just need to pray a little bit more, add a little prayer to my life. That You're gonna miss it. Anxiety... Uh, Sinful anxiety is directly connected to what you think about God and how much you trust him. What are you thinking? What are you believing about the Lord? That is in question when we are wrapped up in our anxiety. I can say it this way. Anxiety is a symptom of a heart that is relying on temporary power to achieve Temporary treasures. Okay? I say it a different way. It would be anxiety is is a symptom of a heart that is relying on worldly power to get, attain, worldly treasures. Okay? And he contrasts that in those verses that we just read. The believers can rejoice. Why? Because our king is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Okay, He's coming back. He's gonna make our bodies right. He's gonna make the world right. And which of those things changes in hard circumstances? Not not one of those things changes. And I say that not, not to make light of our sufferings and trials. I know that there are brothers and sisters in here who are enduring really difficult things. But the heart that relies on the power of King Jesus, who is going to come back, who's going to make things right, who's going to give us a body like his glorious body, who's going to rule and reign here for eternity. That knowledge, trusting in that God, I can rejoice in hard things. Amen? So that, that perspective is crucial. So let's revisit our command in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Those are two qualifiers to that command. First is to be in, in the Lord, right? Our, the fountain of our joy, of our rejoicing, is Jesus Christ himself. And he never changes, therefore, I can rejoice no matter what is going on around me. And secondly, it's always, like always. I mean, the original language means always, at all times, never ending. We can rejoice always. In the midst of suffering and change, nothing about our God changes. Nothing about are standing before him as believers changes our treasure is an eternal one our god is the king of the universe and he will surely come soon now in verse 5 we we see there is going to be an evidence if you have this this mindset set on the lord jesus christ in heaven our citizen our citizenship there it's going to result in a visible change in the way that you interact with other people. And Paul talks about that in verse 5. Look at at verse 5. I'm going to read 4 and 5. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now some of your translations might say, uh, let your graciousness be known, uh, your gentleness or your gentle spirit. Um, what Paul is talking about is there should be this kind of loving endurance in the believer in Christ that doesn't insist on its own way, that doesn't insist that I get my due so that when I am wronged or misjudged or misinterpreted, ignored, what, whatever, insert the slight against me, I did respond in gentleness and graciousness and love because my, my treasure, my rejoicing is not based on getting what's mine, right? If my joy is in the king who's coming from heaven where my citizenship is, you can, you can say things that I don't like. I don't have to worry about making everybody like me or admire me. I don't have to worry about having enough money and all of the rest. I don't have to worry about those things because my joy is not wrapped up in those things. I'm rejoicing in the Lord, therefore, that will work itself out, Paul says, with a gentleness or a reasonableness that would be evident to everyone. This is not just people you like, people I like. So if I'm misinterpreted, misunderstood, overlooked, disrespected, ignored, neglected, I don't get what I think I deserve. I can still respond in loving, gentleness toward the person who is wronging me. And at the end of verse five, he gives us a kind of a transitional uh, phrase, the Lord is at hand. That does two things, it kind of harkens back to, hey remember, our citizenship's not here, it's not here, it's in heaven. And Jesus is gonna come back. He says, the Lord is at hand. He's reminding us again. And that is going to motivate us to use the second weapon against anxiety. And that's found in verse six. Our second point there is we fight anxiety with thankful prayer. Look at verse six with me. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In verse seven And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have here another one of these, at first glance, maybe a little bit of a head-scratcher. Do not be anxious about anything. Like, not a single thing? Nothing? Are you sure, Paul? I mean, you, you, you say like, Don't sweat the small stuff, is what we want him to say, right? But if it's really important, then a little anxiety is not too bad. But he he says, do not be anxious about anything. That's an all-inclusive command. Stop your anxious worrying. Paul doesn't just leave us there, though, because that might inspire some anxiety right there. I'm just supposed to stop? It's like me telling you, hey, don't think about the chiefs. Don't. Quit it. Not Arrowhead Stadium. Don't think about the Red Helmets, Patrick Mahomes. Don't think about it. That, that wouldn't be very helpful if you just say, hey, Thomas from earlier. Thomas, stop being anxious about your presentation, man. Just, it'll be fine. That, that's not very helpful. Uh, like a skilled teacher, though, Paul, Paul gives him the replacement. So we have a clear, put this away from you, this Anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. So what do we replace that with? In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So again, we have another command. All-inclusive, in everything, let your requests be made known to God. So rather than be wrapped up in this cycle of trying to figure out how to manipulate circumstances and people to get the desired outcome. No, 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 I don't do that. I take my requests and I make them to a loving father who, after all, is sovereign. He's the one who has power to do something about it anyway. Listen to this from Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the things of old, for I am God. There is no other. I am God and there is none beside none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose that is the god who we are to take our requests to he's the one who is sovereign over your life and mine he is orchestrating everything to his outcomes his purposes, his purpose shall stand, he says. He will accomplish all of it. So, in everything, by prayer and supplication, we make our requests to God, but there's another, there's another qualifier there. We are to do this with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is due to God for how he's graciously dealt with us for our entire lives up to this point and into the future. Consider, first of all, the most important blessing that he has given to you if you are in Christ, and that is your salvation. Listen to Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Paul writes this to that church. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I could stop there and we could sing the praises of God for eternity for just that. We have been forgiven. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his son. But that's not all. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory And excellence by which he has granted to us his exceeding, precious, and very great promises so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So he's forgiven us. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I'm just gonna rattle off a bunch because we don't have time. But Psalm 103, we learn he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Philippians 3.20 and 21, we, we just read a little bit ago, we have an eternity with Christ with a glorified body. We'll worship him forever. All things will be right. I will not have to wrestle with the sinful flesh that I do now. Amen? That is going to be a glorious day. Ephesians 1.3-6 says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ. Romans 3.25, Christ has, he's the propitiation for our sins. That means he satisfies the wrath of God that I deserve. Romans 6.6 6 says, no, we're no longer enslaved to sin. I don't have to continue sinning. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8.28, all things, all of the things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 38 and 39, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ. Hebrews 14, sorry, 4, 14 through 16, Jesus is right now our sympathetic high priest. And we could go on and on and on. There are thousands of blessings that we need to be reminding ourselves and the thankful heart that should result from a mind that knows how much God has done for us. That should be woven all through our prayers, all through every request that we make to God, should be drenched in thanksgiving. And the result of that kind of thankful prayer in the midst of hard things, instead of going to anxiety, the result of that is God's unshakable peace. Let's look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that is available to us in Christ is a supernatural peace that comes from God. It is not like the peace that the random person walking around Emporia will have. It is not a natural peace. Jesus spoke of it in John 14, 27. He tells his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Who doesn't want that peace? Right. Who in our culture, you walk with your co-workers, somebody on the streets, you ask them, what do you want? What kind of peace do you want? Do you think they would say, no, I don't want want any kind of peace? That is the greatest need that we are seeing as a result of that survey we addressed earlier. What What do we need? We need peace. Specifically, the peace with God and then the peace of God. A couple more comments about This uh, peace—it's not explainable—to have such a peace in the midst of hard things. It is normal. It is almost seen uh, the way that I've heard some people talk—that as if if you don't have medication for anxiety, then something's wrong with you, right? It, It is such commonplace now to, when the pressures of life come on you and they're weighing on you that you need to get some help. You need therapy or you need to go get some medication. You need to uh, self-care and self-love. You need to do all those things. You gotta take care of yourself. That's a problem, right? That's not what, what Paul's writing here, certainly. And that kind of peace is not unshakable. I can, take, I can take that away from you like that. But the peace of God is Supernatural. we also see that this peace is not something that just comes and goes. And like, we, it comes and then relaxes us and then we go through our life and then something else happens and we're like, oh no, we gotta go back to the place to get the peace. No, the, the word that Paul uses there, it actually refers to a Roman garrison. And, and that is like, think of like a barracks, an army barracks. If you are an enemy, enemy nation, the place where you're not gonna attack is where the soldiers live, Right? So, and and Philippi was one of these places. A lot of of soldiers and veterans would go to live in Philippi, and so that would be not a wise place to go and attack if you're trying to, if you're an enemy of Rome. So what Paul is saying here is is the peace of God that passes all understanding, it's gonna guard, it's gonna garrison your heart and your mind. It's going to stay there, take up residence, and it's going to guard you. Available 24-7. Always instantaneous, instantaneous peace. What a promise. So, the first weapon against anxiety is a joyful perspective, the second is thankful prayer. And now, our third weapon against anxiety is purposeful thinking. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul gives another command, right? Think about this. The Greek word means to consider and deliberate about something, so as to make a, an assessment of its character. Okay? So the things that we fill our minds with should be true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, morally speaking, and worthy of praise. I think at this point in the sermon, as I kind of go through these weapons, these, this is where we start to lose people. Like up to this point, it's like, yeah, this is great. This is good. I like this. The, the point here is, is where I'm telling you and Paul is telling us, you're, you, you need to watch what you're thinking about. We do not subscribe to, to this notion that, you know, whatever I'm thinking about, is just I can't control it. It just comes over me and I just, I'm stuck. No. Paul says, you think about these things. Implication, don't think about the other things. Don't consider, deliberate on things that are filthy, that are impure, that are not lovely. Be careful what you're putting in your minds. So he's commanding us to direct your thoughts to things that are good. And we're responsible to do that. It's not just try hard. If you think about it, Think about what is right. Think about what is good. And over the years in my walk uh, with Christ, I, I've also, all, many times, I've made the mistake of thinking that I just need to pray about it and the Lord is gonna zap me with some holiness and then I will be better and I don't have to wrestle with those things anymore and I'm not gonna be anxious because, hey, you sprinkled that little anti-anxiety dust on me. That is not how it goes. So that's not what the Lord is telling us here. We must dictate, we lead our own minds, okay? I direct my thinking to what is right and what is good. That brings us to our last point. We fight anxiety with careful obedience. Okay, and if we lost some people last time, this is the time we're gonna lose some more. Typically, when you talk to somebody about what they're responsible for, um, yeah, I wanna think about the right things, and yeah, I'll pray instead of, you know, when I start to get anxious, I'll I'll say some prayers, and um, hopefully that'll work. No, Paul says in verse nine, read it with me, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Kind of sounds a little surprising as well, because it's like, whoa, Paul, you're on an ego trip there, buddy. But no, that's not what we'll get there in a second. But what he's saying is practice the things that you have learned from me. He planted their church. They had lots of interactions with him. They would have seen his character up close, uh, listened to his teaching. They would have seen him talk to hostile audiences and people who wanted to know more. They would have had small group interactions, maybe individual interactions where they were being instructed by Paul. They knew him well. They had a a great model in Paul. Paul. And, and just to give us a little bit of a picture, let's turn back to Philippians 3. Um, we're gonna give a little bit of context starting in verse 7, and we're gonna read through verse 12 to see what Paul's manner of living was like. What motivates the Apostle Paul? And that's gonna be the picture of what he's calling us to, right? Let's look at verse 7. Whatever gain I had, Paul speaking, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here's the key. Turn in 11. Ready? Ready? that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on, present tense, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul's an intense guy. Right? He, everything that he's doing is pressing on towards this call. And why is he doing it? Is he doing it to earn favor with God? No, he clearly says that. He, I'm not trying to find a righteousness of my own from the law. I'm finding it in Christ. Is he doing it so that he thinks, well, maybe I mean, God might change his mind about me, and so i got to keep up so I can you know, earn my stay in the family of God? No, the reason he is so committed to straining toward the call of God is in verse 12. Look at it again. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why do you do that, Paul? Why are you pressing on? You're working really hard over there. You're making us look bad. Why is he doing that? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It is the kindness and mercy of God in saving Paul that motivates all of his effort. If you are a Christian, if I am a Christian who has been saved by the kindness and mercy and grace of God, that very fact should motivate us, should spark us into tireless effort for his glory. That's what the Philippians knew about Paul. They, they saw that firsthand. And he's saying, if you've seen it in me, do it. If you've heard it out of my mouth, say it. What you've received from me. Practice these things. Practice these things, not like do it once and then like, oh, it didn't work. No, practice these things continually, ongoing, See, Paul was focused on Christ's glory and on his kingdom, on his directives and priorities, uh, no matter the circumstances in his own life. I'll remind you again, he's writing this from prison. And it's not like prisons here in America today. right? This is not a fun situation he's finding himself in. And because he had this deep, enduring joy in Christ, and he was taking over, all of his requests to the Lord in prayer, with thanksgiving, he had this unshakable peace so that as he's suffering, he's not getting anxious about, well, how can he make his defense so that he gets out of here? He had a joyful perspective in his life. He prayed to God about everything and and always giving thanks to him carefully directed his thoughts to what is good and he lived a life of obedience honoring God in all things as we close our time uh, this morning I want to give you a few points of application uh, if you're going to turn from sinful anxiety and you're going to trust the Lord here's some some things that you can think about to, to get you going on uh, that path step one would be to memorize and meditate scriptures on, meditate on scriptures like this one Right? You, you find passages of scripture about anxiety and, and fear and memorize them. think about them often, right? so one is our text here today of Philippians four four through nine we have also matthew six twenty five through thirty four is Jesus talking about don 't be anxious don 't worry about those things don 't worry about tomorrow and the parallel account in, in luke in luke twelve twenty two through thirty four so those are some texts you, should, you could look at um, look with joy um, through suffering through the book of Job. that would be a good one to, to think about and consider Job who lost nearly everything and would not curse God, was faithful and, and even though he wavered and there are times in, in the book of Job that he doesn't do so great, but um, God tells him at the end, hey, you don't need to have all the answers to why things happened. I'm God. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Step two. Uh, because anxiety is, is kind of linked to what you know about God and how much you trust Him, one thing that you ought to do is, is to read good books about the character of God. You need to know about Him. Uh, Nate referenced earlier um, The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. That would be a great book. To Read, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges, Holiness by J.C. Ryle, Knowledge of the Holy by R.C. Sproul. I believe we have all of those books in our resource center, so those are available. Look into those things. Fill your mind with truth about God, his character. Why is he so trustworthy? He's not like us. Step three, keep a prayer journal for Thanksgiving. Just this afternoon, get a, get a journal and write out the ways that God has been so kind to you in your past. Write them out. Think about times when things were not looking good but the Lord brought you through. Think about your salvation. How, who did he put in your life to share the gospel with you? Like, there, there's an endless number of things that we can start writing about that we are thankful for. And then, when you anxiety, the temptation comes to start panicking and freezing up, you, you break that out and you remind yourself of how God has been faithful every day of your life and you pray. Lastly, examine the patterns of your life. Are you obeying the Lord? Are you doing what he says? Ask godly men and women around you who care about you to, to, hey, do you see any areas or patterns of disobedience to scripture? Ask your spouse, right? That's a good one to ask. They see you up close. Psalm 66 says this, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 1 Peter 3, 10 and 12, turn away from evil and do good. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous And his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So you're looking at Paul's life and his motivations, you look at his the way that he conducted himself, the way that he worked hard for the glory of Christ. We follow his example. And we use these weapons to fight against anxiety, knowing that the Lord is good, he is unchanging. He is in control. He is worthy of our praise and our thanks. And we consider things that are right. And we obey the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As we see the sinfulness of anxiety, and and it boils down to our desire to control outcomes, oftentimes for treasures that are not you. Lord, forgive us. Help us to stop being anxious and to take everything to you in prayer. Lord, help us to treasure you. We want our focus and our joy and our love to be directed at you. Help us to consider you, your goodness and sovereignty and wisdom, your power. And Lord, as we do these things, we thank you that you promise to give us your peace, that it will guard our hearts and minds. For those in here who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for them, that they would repent, that they would seek uh, peace with God through Jesus Christ. Lord, help them to resolve that today. Don't let them rest in their minds and put this off. Lord, today is the day of salvation. I pray that they would seek um, wisdom from some godly men and women in this room and trust you with their eternity. And for the believers in here who are struggling with anxiety and fear, oh Lord, help us to repent of that, to recognize that we are valuing other things, that we're valuing um, worldly, temporary treasures and trying to get them with our own strength and intellect. Those things don't last. But you're eternal. Your kingdom is eternal. And you're surely coming home. You're surely coming to bring us home soon. It's in the name of Christ and for his glory that we pray. Amen.